0: I'm so glad to see you today. Glad you could be here for worship. And I also want to welcome those who are worshiping with us at home and tuning in for this service as well. You know, this week I've been reading and, and seeing on the news, they have these cooling centers. And if it's, you know, with all this excessive heat, if you're trying to cool off... There are different places you can go. How many of you just came today for that? You just really (laughs) wanted to cool off. A lot of times I'll drive by somewhere, and if there are a lot of cars in the parking lot, I'll just go in and take up an offering. It's just something I do. You know, it's just the way I think. I'm sorry. But anyway, I'm glad that you're here. We've been talking about being quick to... Uh, being quick to, slow to speak, quick to listen, and quick to hear, and and slow to anger. Let's start again. We've been talking about being slow to speak, slow to anger. We've been talking about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We received the benediction. (laughs) I'm so glad I finally got through that. I was trying to move on too quickly, and it just didn't work out. That ever happened to you? No, it didn't happen to you. Well, it happens to me all the time, okay? Anyway, I'm glad that you're here today. And, but now we've been talking about James for the past two weeks, and some of you have been saying, you know, that sermon was really good. There's some people here who needed to hear it. And and you're pointing at somebody else, but you're not listening to it yourself. I hope it's been beneficial to you, because today we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul. It's going to be a little bit different kind of message. It's a little more discourse, because there's some scripture we're going to look at. We're going to have to walk through it, you know, in little sections at a time to understand it. And then we're going to put it all together at the end so that we know what that's about. Now, you know, the Apostle Paul, he started out, he came on history, on the pages of history, As Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was a Jew and he was a Pharisee and he was really upset about what the Christians were doing. And so he was trying to stop them. And he went to the high priest in Jerusalem and he got permission to go find Christians anywhere and to bring them back to Jerusalem and have them tried and sometimes tortured and punished and even sometimes executed for their faith. That was Saul of Tarsus. But then what happened to Saul was he had this Damascus Road experience. He was walking along on the Damascus Road, God spoke to him. He was temporary, temporarily blinded, and through all that, God led him to a faith and to a relationship with Him, and he became a Christian of Jesus follower. So now instead of persecuting the churches, instead of trying to close the churches and stop the Christians, he started planting churches. He was one of the first church planters. And he started doing that all around the Mediterranean. And then after he started a church and he would leave, he would write them letters to encourage them. And some of those letters made it into the New Testament and we read them today. One of those letters he wrote was to the group at Ephesus. And that became in the book of Ephesians. And from there, we're going to see in chapter 4 this. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the lord that you must no longer live as the gentiles do in the futility of their thinking he's saying when you become a follower when you become a christian you don't see the world through the old perspective anymore the world view of culture in those days was very different than the world view of christianity sound familiar And so here it is right here in the Bible. And so he says, here's what you have to do. You have to begin to see things from God's perspective. You have to see things from a totally different perspective, a godly perspective, and the world is not going to agree with you because they don't understand that, they don't see it, they don't know it, they, they're, they're just lost. And so you're going to have to see it from a new perspective. Your worldview is going to be different. Because the worldview in those days, the, the, a lot of the people there were polytheists polytheist that's a person who has multiple gods. They had all kinds of gods that they followed and believed in back then. And so these polytheists, you know, they were all the time trying to do what those gods taught them. And he says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In other words, you could tell them the truth, but they wouldn't listen. You could show them the truth, but they wouldn't see it. They wouldn't embrace it. They wouldn't accept it. And he says, you're not going to be able to interact with those people the same way that you're going to be able to interact with Christian people. You're going to see things from a totally different perspective. He said they're ignorant. The culture doesn't know any better. And you know, they're looking to Christian people to show them what Jesus is like, who Jesus is. And so it's our example that makes the big difference. And the culture of, in Ephesus was the culture of the Greek culture. Many gods, the Greek gods, and the Roman gods. Now here's the thing that you need to know about these gods, okay? They were selfish. You know, if I was going to get a god, I don't think I'd get a selfish god, would you? I'd want a god who was better than me because I want to be better than I am, right? But that's not what they did. And so they took their cue from the gods. And the God said, might Makes right. So whoever's the strongest, who's ever got the most, who's ever in charge, you're the one that's going to determine how everything's going to go. And that's what they did. And it was every man for himself. Now it wasn't every woman for herself because women didn't have rights in those days, okay? And that's where the pagans get their idea about the gods and how they operate. So he's talking to some ex-pagans and some ex polytheists and he says, your world is going to look different now that you're a Christian. Now that you're following God, everything you're not going to blend in with the culture anymore. You're going to be totally the opposite. You're going to have a different world view. And then he says this having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now what he's saying is, is Christian people are going to have morality. Why are they going to have morality? Because they have rules to follow. They have principles to live by that God teaches. He says, but the pagans And the polytheists, they don't have any morals. They don't have any rules. It's just do whatever you want to, and it'll be fine. And that's what the Scripture is saying. That's what they were doing. So no wonder the people in culture behaved the way they did because they didn't know anything better. They didn't have any rules to live by. And then he continues and says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus that greedy, do whatever you need to do to get whatever you want to get. He said, no, that's not what we do. We're totally different. Our perspective, hey, let the other person go first. Put the other person in front of you. Let them have priority. They're special. So we ought to be grateful today to Jesus and Paul and the early church because what they taught us was about rights that people had and about dignity. And Jesus always made people feel special, men and women. And women are supposed to be treated with respect. And the poor shouldn't be picked on. They should be given the same dignity and status and rights as wealthy people. sexual harassment and abuse is wrong. And a lot of what we believe in the Western world today goes back to those three influences we've had in our lives. It's not the pagans' worldview, but it's the Christians' worldview. You see, in those days, what they thought in their worldview was, might makes right, the people with all the gold make the rules, and if you're a Roman, you're a cut above everyone else. You're just a little bit better, right? And that's the perspective that they had. And so Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the early church, their influence, we still see today. And he says this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And he says, you know, when I first visited you, I, I tried to help you understand that you got to get rid of your old self and take on a new self. You're a new person now. You're totally different. He's talking about deceitful desires. You know what deceitful desires are? Did you ever see a car and it looked pretty good to you and you checked it out and then you decided you wanted to buy it and you went and saw it and then maybe you decided, you know, it's not what I thought it was. It looks better in the pictures than it really is. I don't think so. Or maybe you wanted to date somebody. Girls, listen. Maybe you want to date somebody. He was just dreamy. He was just wonderful. He was amazing. And I I just love to date him. And then you got to know him and he's just like, I don't want to even be around that guy. Okay. Well, hopefully you did that before you married him. I'm thinking maybe before you dated him. If not, there's always the future. Okay. So stay with me here. All right. Because what you want to do is you don't, you know, you you look at something that looks good. But it doesn't always turn out good, right? And so he said, you don't want that. Now, what he's saying is you got to take off those deceitful desires. I remember years ago, I was in Opelika, Alabama. I was a senior minister at a church. My associate minister, Earl, was preaching a graveside service. It was so cold outside. It was one of those gray days. It was spitting snow. And we got out there at the graveside and I realized I was in trouble because he was standing right here preaching and I was right back here behind him and everybody could see me. And I had on a suit and that's all I had on. And I was getting over the shingles. I shouldn't even have been there. But I'm out there freezing. I mean, I'm freezing and the wind is coming up my back and on my neck and and I'm looking over at his car and I'm thinking could I just kind of slip out and get away and get over there inside of that car out of this wind? Or I could die right here. They could have my funeral right here in the graveside. We could just have a twofer right here today in the cemetery, okay? And and, and he's got on this overcoat, and he just keeps talking and talking and talking. And I thought, how am I gonna get out of here? Maybe when he prays, I can slip out. Maybe I can hit him in the head, he'll pass out, and I can leave. What can I do? Let me have that overcoat. You can talk as long as you can stand it, okay? I got to have some relief. And I made myself a promise. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Joseph A. Bank. I'm going to find me a great big old winter overcoat on sale. I'm going to buy that overcoat. I may never wear it, but I'm going to buy it because I'm never going to be in this position again. And I did. I kept my promise to myself. I went and bought me one of those great big black warm overcoats. And I got me a big scarf. And then I quickly moved to Florida. (laughs) And that overcoat is still hanging in my closet. It's got its own bag. It's well taken care of. It's not gently used. It's not used at all. I've never even worn it. Now, can you imagine me putting on that great big old heavy fur overcoat today and going outside. You say he's gone around the bend. He's lost it. I mean, cause it's August y'all and it's hot outside. Have you noticed it's hot? All you got to do is look at people and they're disgruntled. Just look at them. You know why? Cause it's hot. That's why they're disgruntled and they have to vacations over and they got to go back to school and they got to go back to work and they're not happy about it. It's not even Labor Day yet and it's not even football season. Yeah, come on now, right? And and so people are disgruntled. So I try to make them laugh a little bit in August. But you know, you want to take that big old thing off. It may look good, but boy, it ain't good today, is it? A deceitful desire looks good, but it's really not good, okay? And he says, get rid of those things because they'll promise you one thing but they won't come good on the promise. Have you ever chased a desire like that? Paul says those are deceitful desires. I know it's funny, isn't it? I love that. And then as a Christian and a Jesus follower, you have been called to take that off and live a completely different kind of way. And then he goes on and says this. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, the pagans acted like the gods of the day who were selfish. He said, no, no, no. If you're going to follow my example, it's an example of holiness. It's an example of righteousness. And I will make you holy. You just need to surrender to me. I will make you righteous. I will bless your life. You need to be more like I am. It's something that only He can do. And so you embrace this new way of thinking. It's not the culture. It's not the way you've thought before. It's a totally different way to think. God who loves you sent His Son to die for you. He He's prepared a way for you to be righteous and holy. And it's a brand new world, a brand new day. Don't you love it when God does a new thing? I mean, He doesn't just improve us, He makes us new. And we're saved, and we're walking with Him. And He talks about the different behaviors of our mouths and our words and how we don't want to say the wrong thing and be the wrong thing. And He talks about that, and then He goes on and says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, I want you to see that one word, unwholesome. If you translate that from the original Greek, what he's talking about there is is kind of that ugliness that comes out sometimes that you say. And he compares it to the smell of spoiled, rotten fish, rotting fruit, anything that is distasteful. You talk about bad breath. If you got fish breath, rotten fish breath, I mean, you in trouble now. You're going to have to have surgery. I don't know what they can do for you. Because, you know, my wife, she'll, she'll fix shrimp, right, and we'll have shrimp. And then she'll take those shells from the shrimp, and she'll say, Now, we're going to put all those shells in this bag right here, and then we're going to tie it up. And then we're going to take that and we're going to put it in another bag right here. And then we're going to put it in this trash bag right here. And then you are going to take it out right there. Because you know what your job is? You are the garbage man. Get that thing out of here. We don't want that anymore. And Paul says, you know, can you imagine having a conversation where you're just spewing that filth out of your mouth? He said, no, what I want you to do. He said, I want you to build other people up. What you say to them, I don't want you to tear them down. I want you to build them up by what you're saying and the way that you live and the way you encourage them and they will be better for it. And then he goes on in scripture and he says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. So you see there he's coming across with all these different things and he's saying you've got to get rid of all that junk that may be inside of you before you can be all that God wants you to be. Now he'll work in your life and change that, but you, your job is to surrender to him and allow his spirit to change you to make you all he wants you to be. Get rid of that. And, and then he said, it's just like taking out the trash. I mean, you secure it, you, you seal it up, you take it out and you don't bring it back in. You get rid of it. You know, some time ago I was up in Birmingham. We got a house up there and we had Laura's sister and her niece were there and I went and got some seafood and we ate lunch together and then it was my job. What, what am I? So it was my job to take that trash out, right? And I'm carrying two bags of trash, and I'm walking, and the trash can's already sitting up on the road because the garbage man's coming, and I'm carrying that out there. But I don't realize that the pavement's uneven. There's some places where it's broken off, and my foot gets caught on that uneven spot right there, and it turns like that. And the next thing you know, I've lost the trash bags, and zippity-doo-dah, I'm going down. Now, even at my advanced age, I have enough athletic ability to catch myself with my two hands. However, I know. However, the street is going down like this, and the momentum of my girth brings me forward, and I land on my forehead right here. And they have to take me to the emergency room and take pictures, and the doctor says, Good news. You landed on your head. Everything's fine. And I started talking to my wife about this when we got home, and I said, you know, I was taking the trash out when I fell out there in the street, and I got this injury. And all that blood started draining down into my eye. I had a big black eye. It's been years since I've landed with my head on the pavement. I did that as a kid, riding my bicycle. But let me just say, I don't recommend it. I don't care what age you are, okay? And I said, it's not too safe for me to take out the trash. I've been living in Florida all these years. I'm up here in the hills of Birmingham. It's dangerous. I don't think I need to take out the trash anymore. And she said, good try, bud. And guess what? I am still. Thank you very much. All right. Now he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build other people up, but you can't build other people up if you're bitter. If you're bitter, you can't be a builder. Because if you're builder, if you're bitter, it's going to come out in all kinds of subtle ways in your life with what you say and what you do. And it's going to affect you in a terrible way. And he says, you're going to say words that hurt and not help. And so he says, I want you to build other people up and not tear them down. And he says, it's a big deal. You can't be both. You've got to do it the way I'm asking you to do it. And there's three things he's really saying to us. We can't demean other people. We can't degrade other people, and we can't disrespect other people. To demean someone is to treat them as if they don't really matter. That's what it means to demean them. And so that's what some people do. To degrade somebody means that you get graded down. You don't measure up in their way. To be disrespected, you're just not, they're not concerned with you. They're not interested with you. You're not important to them. So how do you, how do you respond? God says the way you respond when, when you don't measure up to me is, I give you grace. And because I give you grace... I want you to give grace to other people. You'll never speak degrading words over anyone that my son died for. You need to love them and bless them and be great to them. Now here's the two questions that I wanna ask you today before we wrap it up, okay? Here's what I wanna ask you. Here's your your, uh, homework today, okay? Where do I have work to do in this area? Where do I have work to do in this area? If you don't know, ask someone close to you. They'll tell you real quick. They'll let you know. They'll, they'll give you a list. It could take a while. Where, where do I have work to do? The second thing you want to ask is, who hopes I'll get to work soon? <laughs> Who's just sitting there going, could you grow up? Could you straighten out? Could you get better? You're just wearing me out. You're sucking the life out of me. Come on, do better. And usually it's the people closest to us that are the ones who we hurt the most. If you are critical and sarcastic, that will never build another person up. you never built stronger by criticism and sarcasm. Listen, sarcasm doesn't build anything but resentment. The apostle Paul says, speak to others as your heavenly father has spoken to you and over you. Okay. Now here, what we're going to do, we're going to wrap this all up. We're going to put all this back together now that we've dissected it and looked at it in a different way. Okay. And we're going to wrap it up. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. He says, But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. And then this is another bit of homework for you here. I want you to memorize <coughs> excuse me, Ephesians 4:29. Here's what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so Jesus has died on the cross for us. It's the greatest story ever told. And what he wants us to do is to follow his example and to show love and build others up. And so in closing, I want to share this with you. It's perfect. It was in my devotional on July the 7th, this summer, and it's by a guy named Ramke, and he is from Sri Lanka. And when I got it, I said, this is great, I love it, because the guy tells on himself. Don't you love it when people tell on themselves, doesn't that just do you good? And so he tells on himself, and I just, I got it, and I saved it, and it's perfect today, all right? Here's what he said. I had returned to college in early September after a trip home. I was walking toward the college from the bus stop. Some construction had begun while we were on vacation, and many holes were dug along the side of the road. While I was walking, I spotted a boy talking on his cell phone. He was absorbed in his conversation and he seemed unconcerned about the dangers around him with all these holes. I reprimanded him in my heart and watched every step he took, expecting him to fall into a hole at any time. I kept my eyes fixed on the boy as I wondered. If he falls... Should I pull him out of the hole and then scold him for his carelessness or should I scold him first and then pull him out? As I was choosing my words and deciding how harsh I should be, I stopped paying attention to my path and fell into a hole. (laughs) Then he says this, I realized then that looking at the faults of others can cause us to stumble, amen? Hey, that'll preach right there. I don't care who you are. And then he says this, I prayed that day for Jesus to show me the right path in life. The psalmist proclaims that God will protect and deliver us We can always rely on Him to show us the way. Not only are we looking at God, but we're thinking, you know, maybe there's other folks watching me. (laughs) Maybe I ought to pay attention to where I'm walking, not worry about them so much. And maybe I ought to be an example to them to show them the way to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Father, thank you for the Word. Thank you that even though there was a lot to it today and a lot for us to look at, that you just brought it to life and helped us understand it in such a way that we can put it to practice, that we might embrace it and carry it and live it out. We pray in your son's name and all God's children said.